Hello and welcome to the Perceptive Photographer Podcast. We are going to be talking a little bit about four things to consider about photographic composition today. I am your host, Daniel Gregory. This is episode 437 of our little podcast. I hope you're having a wonderful week. And one of the things I have coming up is enhancing your photography critique skills, which is a little two-day workshop. It's four hours, a course of two days, August 15th and 16th from 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific and a second workshop on September 2nd and 3rd, which is a Saturday and a Sunday. The first one's a Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific time on that one. If you want to actually become a better photographer, there's a couple things that I think really make a difference. One is printing, and two is learning to talk about work, look at work, and understand work. So that's what this workshop's all about. The first day, we're going to look at a number of different techniques and methods for critiquing photographs. And the second day, we're actually going to critique work that you all submit to that workshop. So if you're interested, head up to my website at danieljgregory.com, check out Workshops and Education, and it's one of the first workshop offerings up there. There's still some room in both of those, but they are filling, so make sure you check that out. Okay, today we're going to be talking a little bit about composition, and that's composition within the frame. And I think that's one of the things that's really important about photography, again, is photography is bound by the frame that's created during the actual capture of the click of the shutter. So depending on the camera, ang the camera lens we have on, we end up with a different sort of angle of view created by that lens. A wide angle lens obviously lets us see a wider view of the world. A telephoto, we see a much smaller angle, you know, eight degrees versus 180 degrees. But that framing becomes important because that is a selection process of what we're choosing to include in the elements of the photograph. The things we're sharing, the stories we're telling, the picture we're creating is bound by that frame. However, within that frame is the composition. And that is the arrangement of the things within that frame. And when we arrange those things, we're looking at line, form, shape, tone, light, all the different components that allow us to structurally understand what's going on within the photograph. Okay, so let's look at some of those key elements and think about sort of this compositional element sort of in, in a different way. And like I said, I've got a couple of questions here that I think are important for us to ponder as we examine the role of composition within our practice. The first is, are the objects, the elements of composition, is they, are they there with a sense of purpose and meaning, or are they there as a distraction? And now the interesting thing here is, I think how we look at an image is in some ways an element of forgiveness, meaning that we forgive elements of distraction because we don't want them to be a negative tick against the critique of the photograph. We want to actually bypass that and pretend like it's sort of not there. So we will forgive that. And at the same time, acceptance of that object as distraction may be important as well. Because one of the things when we think about purpose versus distraction in terms of components of composition, sometimes we think about, oh, that's a distraction. But then we stop at that point because we have made a, what we believe to be is a calculated intelligent observation of that photograph, that element of composition within that frame to say it's a distraction, classified, categorized, and move on. It's, a, it's not supposed to be there. I find it visually distracting. However, there are times where things of distraction are important to the composition. They become narrative elements. They become a different possible entry point to the analysis and understanding of the photograph. And so there are things that are just flat out distracting things that probably compositionally should not be in the frame. My classic example here is always the big, gigantic white Starbucks cup. That huge white cup proving to be a distraction if it takes up a third of the frame and we're not able to get past that. It becomes a 
true barrier to us actually experiencing the photograph. But when I look at a photograph where maybe there is a, you know, a fallen dead tree branch in the corner, or there is some level of decay on the edge of a building, and we think, ah, you know, you should have left that out. That's distracting. You should have removed that when you cropped, framed, or AI'd it, or whatever you do, but that needs to go away. But yet that decay in the corner, maybe that starts to change a possible interpretation of that photograph. It adds a layer of complexity. And so one of the things that I think is an important question to ask, again, is, does this have a purpose? And I think most of the things compositionally should have a purpose. Is it a distraction, but is it a distraction that we accept and accept it as the distraction? Or is it something that the distraction then allows us to accept as a different interpretation of the photograph? And I think that's an important clarification for us to have and establish. It's so easy to look at it and say, oh, that should go away. I find that distracting. <laughs> but what else is possible with that? What else could that possibly mean? And I think that's an important piece to consider. I think one of the other questions we need to ask ourselves is we hear a lot about in composition about the leading line, the line that leads us into the photograph, that leads us to the central subject, that builds points of perspective. But one of the things that's interesting about lines is lines are two-way. They actually move forward and backwards. They move right to left, but they also move left to right, depending on how you insert yourself into the photograph. A lot of that is culturally dependent. If you are from a culture that predominantly looks left to right or from one that reads right to left, you know, we look at the world differently. We access the page we look at differently, depending on how we actually read. And so all of those components that come together from a cultural standpoint, a language standpoint, can influence how we might perceive where and how that line works. So one of the things that I think is important when we look at a leading line is we oftentimes look at what we think it leads to. But I think it's also important in there for us to ask the question, what does it lead from? So when we go in on a leading line, if we come backwards on that line, we go the other direction, we drive the reverse way down the highway, now what do we see? Now what do we notice? What does that line now tell us about how the rest of that frame is put together, how the rest of that composition is put together. And I think that's an important thing to consider because sometimes we get so enamored again, just like with things of purpose and things of distraction, once we decide where that line goes, we assume it's a one-way road and it's not. And I think it's important to back that up. So thinking again about that all lines are two ways in what they lead to. And I know the first time that was said to me was like, you know, that line goes to this bottom corner and over there, it was just sort of a mind-boggling thing because I never really thought about, oh, if I follow the line the other way, it doesn't go where I think it should, or it leads me out of the frame, or it leads me to a point of distraction, wherever it goes. So it's an interesting piece when we start to look at lines in that way. That same way, I think it's important we consider one of the things that we talk about a lot, and we do this a lot when we're talking, particularly with people who are new to photography. We talk about the world of compression, and I don't mean compression through the use of a telephoto lens, but the compression of a three-dimensional world is compressed in a photograph into two dimensions. And then we attempt, in a lot of cases, but particularly when we're new to photography, we try to reestablish that three-dimensional world. Classic example, telephone pole through somebody's head. It looks like there's a pole coming out of their head. We don't quite get the angle right to build enough separation there. When we're learning to light, we don't quite catch a hair light on the back of the person. And so their hair kind of falls into the background. Little pieces where that two-dimensional world sort of creeps into that three-dimensional space. Now, again, you may be a photographer who's leaning on the ability to create a two-dimensional representation of a three-dimensional world as a part of your artistic choice. But outside of that, I think one of the things that's really important is 
when we look at that photograph and we realize that things are compressed on top of one another, we have created a two-dimensional representation. What does it say to the experience we have looking at that photograph? Again, how do we accept that in the photograph? The acceptance of the two-dimensional world versus the three-dimensional world in our interpretation of that photograph. Because again, elements of a photograph that compress on top of one another, that become two-dimensional, and other parts that seem to expand into three dimensions become interesting in our understanding of that photograph. Again, they go back to understanding purpose. They go back to understanding intent. They go back to understanding sort of vision of that photographer. How do those elements come into play? And again, what's important is when we start to break down, is the area that is represented by the two-dimensional compression working, or is the area that's expanded into the re-expanded into that three-dimensional aspect, is that working? When those elements come together, we end up with a much more sophisticated photograph, again, of purpose and intent. But we have to make sure that we're understanding that at the appropriate spots, at the appropriate places, that that compression is happening. So again, thinking about just like we did with leading line forward to back, leading two different directions, that representation of three-dimensional, two-dimensional, are we effectively using that to convey what we want? Or again, is it an accident, something without purpose that leads us to sort of break away from that? I think the final element of sort of things about composition that I think are interesting, and I think Great composition holds up at any size. I think it's one of the interesting things about good composition. I think there are ideal sizes sort of for photographs, but photographs that have a smaller size, printed a smaller size, enlarged, composition holds up with that. So one of the things I think we have to consider, though, in composition is we think about that frame. So we have the size of the frame, and that could be squares. If you're shooting one by one, it could be three by two, it could be four by five. And so how big is that frame? You add that lens choice into there. You know, how wide of angle do we have showing within that frame? So we have the frame size. That frame size and that lens choice then directly relates to object size. How big or small are the objects within the frame? One of the interesting challenges when you start photographing and you learn like, oh, wow, I have a wider angle lens than I thought I had. And so that thing I'm photographing is now tiny in the frame. The object size itself is tiny in the frame, even though the frame holds the same size. I move closer, distortion starts to happen, things get a little bigger, but things at the periphery may push back, the sense of depth may change. All sorts of things come into play a little bit when we start to think about the size of the objects within the frame. And again, just like with objects of purpose, we want things to be sized to intention and meaning. We want to make sure that we have an awareness of how are we experiencing that expression. The final piece within that, so when we think about frame size, object size, what I think that leads to then is the emotional space or the emotional size. And this is one of the pieces where I think when we're dealing with understanding composition, we are impacted by looking at different elements of composition and they invoke within us a thought. Or hopefully they invoke within us an emotional response. And I think one of the components of considering your own photography, your own approach to the way you're doing your work, is are you leaving the space for emotional space within the frame? Are you taking photographs where we haven't become so enamored with the technical exactness of composition that we have 
basically choked out the chance for emotional emotional response, emotional experiences to happen within that photograph. We have to recognize that part of learning and feeling a photograph is that everybody's bringing their own experience to that photograph. They're bringing their own sensations, their own history, their own thoughts, their own emotions. Everything's coming to that photograph. Everything is coming to that photograph. And that part of what we're trying to do as photographers is we're trying to use these sort of guidelines of composition bound by that frame to hopefully invoke some level of emotional response. But again, we have to make sure we've left the emotional space for that to happen. And where I believe that happens, it was first and foremost within the photographer. Are you thinking about the emotional response to those photographs when you're thinking about the creation, editing, processing, sequencing of those photographs? Is that a consideration or is it solely on this photograph represents a good photograph because it has the key aspects of what traditionally makes a good composition? It has a leading line, rule of third, point of perspective, something in the middle, there's something balanced, blah, 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 blah. What did we leave for the emotional weight to anchor that photograph? And I think just like we consider size of frame, size of object, we need to consider the size of the emotional response. So those are some of the key things I think to process, think about as you, con as you construct your concepts of composition. Again, purpose and distraction, that sometimes we want the purpose of that thing is to be a distraction, but that better be with intention, not the, I'm going to forgive a bad compositional element as distraction. Again, it's not the forgiveness of that, but it's the acceptance that sometimes we need that element to be a distraction. How we perceive lines and that lines lead to different points in the photograph, not just the one we're hoping that people go to. How we perceive space, how we recreate space. And again, are we leaving not just two-dimensional, three-dimensional, but emotional space? I hope you have a wonderful week behind the camera. Thanks so much again for joining me for this week's episode of The Perceptive Photographer. Again, I am Daniel Gregory, and you're listening to episode 437 of our little podcasting corner of the universe. Thanks so much. I'll see you next time and have a great week.